Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today we are recording episode 97 and have an exciting guest from South Africa. So I want to introduce my book before I introduce my guest, which is my book, A Gift from Adversity by Julie Love, which is available on Amazon. The subtitle of this book is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. This book uh, was published in 2020, and ever since I got this book published, I got a lot of messages from people saying that they also went through extreme adversity like myself. I felt really compelled last year to start this podcast, the same title as my book, A Gift from Adversity, to create a safe platform where people can not only talk about the adversity, but the tools that they use to overcome and then a gift that came from it. So thank you again for tuning in. Let's invite our guest today. Hello, how are you doing? Oh, you muted. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Hi, Yuri. My apologies. Um, no worries. Hello. And then how are you doing? Yes, jolly good. How are you, Yuri? Thank you for the invite. No problem. So um, let's introduce you. Can you tell our audience who you are and where you're coming in from today and what you do and if you have uh, any website or social media you want to share? Okay, my name is Antoinette McInnes. I live in a very small seaside village called Morgan Bay in South Africa. Um, I also have a podcast. I have a podcast called Free, Free Yourself from the Battlefield of the Mind. Uh, it's on Apple and on um, Spotify. I also have a Facebook page which announces the episodes and a short description. It's also called Free Yourself from the Battlefield of the Mind. Um, I do have a TikTok and Instagram accounts under a different name. It's called Work underscore Yoke. <laughs> we decided to just make it a bit funky. I do have a website, but at the moment, I'm still busy developing affiliates and courses um, because my passion is to share with people, my service is to share with people um, how I overcame my particular adversities and to share the thousands and thousands of hours of research that I've done, as well as the tools, processes, people, books that have helped me because it hasn't been an easy journey, but it's been really worth it. So, yes, that's what I currently do. So, uh, yes, thank you for asking. You Now you muted, I think. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's move on to our first question, which is the adversity. So... Um, my first question is, what was your adversity? Well, it's hard to know where to start because it started in utero and progressed throughout my life. But I think I'm going to start with cancer, which was five and a half years ago, because cancer became the catalyst for me healing 
the other um, adversity, which I didn't really even know I had, I just knew I wasn't okay, but it opened the way for investigation um, in order to heal myself of cancer. And that investigation led me on a path to heal myself mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and actually to heal my borderline personality, which I didn't even really know I had until I knew. So it was an in utero trauma that started the process, I guess, of uh, me developing as as one does and no fault of my mother or, or the situation. And there's much forgiveness and love between us. But the situation was such that because she was very young and unmarried and um, it was very long ago and it was very frowned upon to be in that situation, she tried to abort me um, herself and it obviously didn't work because I'm here. And, um, you know, in itself, people say that's not really a trauma, but um, really it created a, a very deep abandonment wound and a before I even came into the world, a feeling of not being wanted by the very person who should really want me and love me and accept me. And please, there's no blame here. I don't live in this story. I love my mother. It's healed. But I have to share. It's the first time I've shared this, Yuri, actually. I share my cancer journey. I've shared a little bit my borderline journey. And this is the first time I've ever shared this. But it just feels deeply right that I share this now and it feels very hard because my mother's still alive and it's nothing against my mother because it's just something that happened to her very young but I realized actually through um, deep subconscious work through some brain training actually I did a brain training exercise well it was a weekly thing where they go into trauma points that have been frozen and stuck in your brain and yeah, it actually gets stuck in your brain. And I had an assessment and found out that I had a lot of trauma areas in my brain, some from way back in childhood and some as recent as 10 years ago. Anyway, I went and did this uh, brain training. Um, it's called Brain Harmonics. And in that, interestingly, I re-experienced being in my mother's womb. Um, and I also got guided to do a, a psilocybin journey, which I said I'd never do. <laughs> I said I would never touch plant medicine. But this happened only last year. And in the last five and a half years since cancer, I'm deviating around a bit, but I, I really deeply listen to the higher power, to God, to my higher self, my God self that tells me what I need next. That's one of the great gifts that's come from this journey is to trust that and not trust my head. Because <laughs> the mind can lie, but the body never does. And the God self knows what's needed. And in psilocybin, the only reason I'm starting with that, I'm not saying it's everybody should do it. And by no means should everybody do it. You really have to be called to it. It has to be done in the right set and setting and very well facilitated. But in that, I, I re-experienced my in utero as well. And I'd already known about it and worked on it and healed it for many, many years, especially since cancer. But re-experiencing it without any filters, psilocybin, uh, you may or may not know, but it takes away 
the part of your brain that's fearful of re-experiencing trauma. And that's why some people, up to 40%, have very, very hard experiences like I did. If there's any mental disease genetically down the line, historically in the family and within oneself, it can be a very dark journey. And I had a that was probably the biggest adversity I've ever had to face, interestingly. I didn't expect to say this by any means, but it's just coming out. Was re-experiencing that, how it felt for me in my mother's womb. It was, um, I was suffocating and um, I couldn't breathe, actually. And I really thought I was going to die. And I was just screaming um, um, because I felt so trapped and so unable to do anything about the situation where the threat was coming against me. And um, I would never have been able to re-experience that trauma. I mean, it's in utero, and of course there's no memory. But I re-experienced it in psilocybin. And then on the brain training, which has got no psychedelic effect, it just works on the areas of your brain where the trauma is stuck. I re-experienced it again, and this time not only could I not breathe, but I started having like a heart attack. So it was my heart and my breathing, and I, it was really, really terrifying. So the facilitator turned the machine off, and she stopped it because she said people can actually, people actually do die sometimes in that kind of rebirthing experience. So. The only reason I'm sharing that actually is because it um, it validates in a way how extreme that trauma is, even though it's not a mother's fault. I mean, I myself have had an abortion and it was successful, so I by no means am judging that. But um, re-experiencing it in real time with the real feelings and the panic attached to it and the fear and the not the smothering. Um, was very hard but very healing because it made me realize why I had ended up being the way I was and how was I? Well, I was a person who up till cancer that presented as very successful. Um, I was popular, had a successful business. I educated myself. I had Four, I have four degrees, including an MBA. I ran a very successful business all on my own. I traveled the world. I did community work. I mean, I presented as a happy, confident, outgoing, successful person. I try, Yeah, I did many. On the outside, external life, I had a very, very good and very successful life. But I constantly had a grinding fear, actually, and anxiety and just terrible internal unhappiness, um, extremely, extremely difficult mind, which I didn't even know I had, <laughs> actually. I just knew that I kept on trying to be happy and be peaceful and find peace and spirituality. And I, I was seeking the truth for 30 years. I'm on a, I was on a spiritual and self-help path, I studied psychology. I got into all kinds of spiritual stuff. I traveled all over the world doing workshops, courses. I read thousands of books. I was doing gratitude journals, meditating, yoga, exercising. I was eating a vegetarian, healthy, clean diet. Uh, you know, I was doing community work, but I was never okay 
And I would be, I heard you say on other podcasts and one of your guests, the bipolar lady, when she traveled or you travel, you felt better. And me, even, I could be in paradise. I've been to very many beautiful places. And even in that peace, in that beauty, I would just feel this grinding, undirected fear and like panic, like things just aren't okay. Things aren't okay. Something's not okay. It's not enough. Nothing's enough. And I had no idea actually what was going on. I just kept on trying to find the self-help and the spirituality, but I inadvertently got tied up in spiritual bypassing. I moved away from Christianity because I felt traumatized by it, and I moved then into the kind of new age spiritual world. And it brought much to me, and all of what I did was good, but it actually, I got worse and worse, because the more spiritual practice I did, and the healthier I ate, and the more I gratitude journaled or did affirmations, the more this internal state became worse, actually. Sorry, excuse the bad English. And and that was extremely difficult for me in hindsight. At the time, I don't think I even really realized what was going on. It was just like a, 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 a dichotomy in a way. It's a, a puzzling thing that, but I really didn't know what was going on. I just knew that everybody thought I was okay and internally I wasn't. And in 2014, I started working with a business partner in my business, the most amazing, beautiful, emotionally intelligent human being I've ever met. And she said to me about six months into our working relationship, I um, I find it very difficult to work with you. And she was very kind, but very, very honest. And I was, she was crying. She was like, I love you. I love this business, but I can't work with you. And when she told me what I was doing, I was absolutely astounded. I was like, really? I am doing that stuff and that's upsetting you? I had no, I, I had no idea. So because I trusted her and I knew she wasn't just trying to hurt me, I went away and reflected on it. And I realized uh, after reflecting for a few weeks, the things she was saying were true, but I didn't know they were dysfunctional. It's just the way I operated. I was extremely oversensitive. I took everything personally. Um, I just worked all the time, like seven days a week, 12 hours a day. I drove myself, I drove the staff, and I tried to drive her to just work. I tried to control everything. I had no faith or trust. I was paranoid all the time that our factory was doing jobs for other people behind our back because we had a very unique unique product. When we lost a big order, I used to be absolutely devastated and take it so personally. And she said to me, there's something wrong with you. And I was like, I just thought that was normal. But I went and did some research and um, I started with bipolar and I definitely wasn't bipolar. Anyway, it ended up doing my own research. I self-diagnosed myself as having borderline personality. There's 10 things you can tick. And I ticked at least eight of them. And I, I, I don't think I was extreme, extreme, but I most certainly had it pretty bad. So I self-diagnosed and I never went for an official diagnosis because the interesting thing is, Yuri, because I presented as so together, I mean, everybody thought I had it together, everything, everything together. 
So when I told people, no, I've self-diagnosed and I'm working on this, they would go, don't label yourself firstly. And secondly, there's nothing wrong with you. Stop making something wrong with you. You're completely amazing. So I, I used to go in and out of going, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I mustn't label myself with this terrible label. And then I'd like, but no, these things are true. So what I started doing in 2014 um, is just started self-awareness and self-observing to try and see if these things were true because I'd already ticked them off the list but I wanted to observe my life to see was I being oversensitive was I um, trying to kill myself I've never tried to cut myself or do things but maybe I was trying to kill myself in a different way was I creating chaos in my life and others was I narcissistic uh, was I oversensitive so I started observing and I'm afraid most of the things were true um and it was very hard actually and hurtful and I didn't go for professional help because I had been to so many psychologists and therapists in the past and coaches and spent so much money and they made absolutely no difference actually so by the grace of God what I'm going to say next some people get cross when I say it but by the grace of God I got cancer in 2017 three years later on the 3rd of March and you couldn't have shocked, I mean, if there's anything I thought I would never, ever get, it was cancer, because I was living an anti-cancer lifestyle, I ticked every single anti-cancer box, so-called, so I was so shocked, and so were the people around me, because I lived in a very healthy world, I hadn't touched allopathic medicine for 32 years, I was so healthy eating and all that, but I got this very aggressive cancer very suddenly, well, it wasn't sudden, but I found out suddenly, and sure, yeah, it was a shock to say the least, but it became the adversity where every single gift that I now have came, because I had to investigate why I got sick. I have never just um, taken things lying down. I don't know, do you want me to stop now? I'm just going on and on. <laughs> Do you want me to stop? I'm talking a lot. No, 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 go ahead. So the cancer, because I had to investigate, for me, I felt I did do chemo, which is something I ne said I'd never, ever do. I said I'd never touch chemo. But I had a very aggressive cancer moving very fast um, in my throat and my thyroid and at the top of my spine, and it was all over my throat and 22 glands. So, And I got only diagnosed two years after it started, I think, because I was sick for two years and everybody said there was nothing wrong with me. But eventually I got a big lump on my throat in the middle of a 10-day silent retreat, actually. And um, I did nothing about it. And when I eventually did do something, um, it uh, everything, you know, when you've got very aggressive cancer, they all move very fast. That's when you know you're in trouble. So uh, before I even knew it, I was having an operation, which I said I'd never have. And the guy said it was just to take a biopsy. But when I came around from the operation, he said he had done a five-hour operation and he had to get another surgeon to help him because his cancer was entangled all over my throat and my esophagus and in uh, the top of my spine. And he couldn't, uh, he thought he'd lost my vocal cords and he just took out 22 glands and I, I was like, I told you, you're not allowed to do that. But anyway, just laughed. He said, I'm just so glad you're talking. And then I went on this journey. They wanted to see if the cancer had spread because usually lymphatic cancer spreads to your bones, your bone marrow, and then to other organs. And by the grace of God, it had not spread. 
So I knew I had to do chemo because otherwise I would have been disabled if I'd gone the natural route or had it in my brain. So I did chemo. And the astounding thing is the gifts that came out of chemo, my goodness. I mean, maybe I won't go into that now because it's another whole story. But it was such, it's so healing for me on so many levels because it stopped me. I couldn't work. I couldn't help people. I had to ask for help. I had to accept love. I had to shave my hair off, lose that identity. I had to stop working. So it gave me so many gifts. And then I decided together with Kim, I needed to heal myself because I'd been on that path for many years. So I didn't. I knew I didn't need to do less coffee and more green juice. I knew I had to find self-love, actually, and joy. And that came out through a kinesiology session. My body said, please don't fast or do anything brutal. Just find joy. And actually, you couldn't have asked a harder thing of me to I had never experienced a moment of joy in my life for all the benefits I had in my life I had not one moment of joy so I set about asking where my healing lay and I had no idea I didn't know where to start because what more do you do than what I was doing and so I prayed and I asked for guidance and the guidance I got was throw out every single belief system you have and start again. And that was so shocking because when you've got borderline personality or some kind of coping mechanism like that, being in control and being absolute about your beliefs and my beliefs were good. I was an environmentalist, community worker, green juicer. I'm like, uh-uh, not dropping these beliefs. But that's what I was told to do, so I did it, and it was terrifying because I felt anchorless. And then what came back in was astounding. I started eating meat again, and it really helped heal me. That uh, was so hard for me to eat meat. I realized I can't be absolute anymore. I stopped. I never went back to work. I kind of went back to work, but eventually I gave up my business. Anyway, so it took me on a journey, and someone gave me a book on psychoneuroimmunology, and that book was the reason why I healed myself of cancer and then of borderline personality because that book is a it's a medical science I don't know if you know of it it's relatively new and it has studied how our emotions suppressed emotions the way we operate in the world anxiety stress fear uh, lack of self-love um how it affects our immune system our hormones our fight and flight and um so cancer, autoimmune disease, diabetes, and heart disease have been directly linked to 80% of the time. Now, if not caused by, triggered by those kind of yeah, suppressed emotions and the way people live without even knowing it. So I started deeply studying psychoneuroimmunology and neuroscience and neuropsychology because I knew what I had to do. I knew then I'd never felt an emotion in my life. I knew I had issues. They had a shadow questionnaire in there. I realized how dissatisfied I was, but I had no idea why. I just knew there was something very wrong with my internal state. So I started doing thousands of hours of research and I started working on rewiring my brain and reprogramming my conditioning, my program that was in place from utero actually for me and then got enforced by my not so great childhood and then by all the choices I made because of that, that validated that I should self-hatred was my deep thing and it's still something I work with anyway I am um, for five and a half years I've been on that journey of um, doing deep subconscious work actually which becomes I had no idea that actually that is the spiritual work so 
through re doing the rewiring my brain work, I am. Um, Oh, and I found a coach because I didn't really know what to do. And uh, just another thing that came my way, I just bumped into this woman. She told me she was an adult child counselor. And that's people who are adults but have coping mechanisms like their children. I don't know if you know about it because they're stuck in, you know, by the age of seven, our program's in place. And so many adults are walking around with their seven-year-olds being triggered and running their show and their belief system. So... In six sessions with her, she showed me my blind spots. Oh, and that was the beginning of the beginning of my healing on every level because I had no idea what my blind spots are because they were blind spots. And she just showed them to me and she gave me tools to work with them. So, yeah, the rest of the story, there's a lot to it. But I now, um, I don't know whether I've still got borderline personality or not. I don't think it matters. But I now... Oh, I'm 80% better. And it's it's quite unusual for people with borderline personality, I think, to self-heal a psychiatrist. I did get diagnosed, by the way, officially by, with a psychiatrist three years ago. And she said it's remarkable that people with borderline actually self-heal because usually they're not self-aware enough. So, yeah, I was lucky and um, it was grace. So I've done a huge amount of healing on that. And... I don't have cancer now five and a half years later, but am I cured? I don't know, but am I healed? Yes. I live the best life now I've ever lived. It's not always easy, but yeah, sorry, that's a long story. <laughs> so um, I wanted to dissect a little bit. So the first part of the question is adversity. And the second part of the question is the tools that you use to overcome, which you shared a ton of it already. But let's actually dissect a little bit about adversity. I know you mm -hmm. mentioned about like utero memory, which is interesting. And then I read your bio a little bit that she was, uh, your mom was trying to use the needle or something, like knitting needle or something. Yes. Where did you read that? Uh, you sent oh. me email. <laughs> oh, I sent you email. Okay, I didn't know it said that. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is very um, traumatic. And then um, it's interesting that later on, um, I just want to um, really shine the light for the people who don't understand the deep level of trauma that affects like either in early childhood or even in the utero level and that can really affect the long term, like, you know, even adulthood and if not addressed and especially when we were... I, I'm from Japan, and then all this adversity that I experienced with my father, that was never discussed. And then that was never okay to discuss. So where did you grow up? Did you grow up in South Africa? Uh, where Where were you born? Yeah, I was born in Johannesburg, and I grew up in Johannesburg. So, But I grew up in a family where emotions were not shown. You never showed your naked body. You never hugged each other. Um, it was, uh, both my parents had mental issues, undiagnosed and not their faults. My father's father was in the Second World War and he, came, he went to a Nazi concentration camp three times and got seriously, um, what do you call it? 
I can't even remember the word, but anyway, he came back with schizophrenia when he was 23. So my father ended up at 12 having to support support his whole family, actually, and go to work. And um, and my mother yeah, has a very difficult mental state, and I don't know where it comes from because she can't recall any memories and maybe doesn't want to. So, um, yeah, look, I don't think people are encouraged to feel their feelings, not just in Japan. I don't know about America. I've never lived in America. I've heard you say to Americans that they apparently do show their feelings, and I know South Americans do. In South Africa, certainly in that generation, it was you repressed. My mother used to tell us not to feel emotion. She used to hit me if I cried. And not because she was trying to, that's just the way it was in those days. If we were seen and not heard, there were four of us. We used to get lined up. We used to go out with my parents and we never spoke until we were spoken to. Um, yeah, we were hit with a belt by my father if we were out of line, um, you know. So there was a very um, unemotional, yeah, and yeah, and a, quite a, we were fed and clothed, but and it wasn't their fault, but there wasn't much emotional, um, yeah, of nothing emotional, really. In fact, we were taught, my mother actually taught all four of us to be very hard and very tough and very emotionless and not to take nonsense from anybody, from the world, from men, from anything, because we're going to have to look after ourselves because men are terrible things that you just have to open your legs for and make babies. So I never got married and I never had babies. And all of us have made careers for ourselves. And my one sister is married, the other one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, so that kind of socialization in itself, and I grew up in a country, but that's not really something that I think affected in a country that's been in trauma in all the 61 years I've been alive. But I don't think that's a necessary bad thing. We're very resilient in South Africa. But yeah, so that's the same in Johannesburg. I don't know if it's quite as bad as Japan. I've heard you talk about it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. You are my first ever guest from South Africa. And then I really truly believe that a lot of guests, Wanako, who um, referred you to, she, he's from Austria, and I have several international guests. And then I feel like our generation, I'm 46, that when we were growing up, is like comparing, like, compared to my kids' generation with like the you know, global pandemic, after the pandemic, that emotional intelligence and emotional coping skill are more more normalized and talked about we have no resources we have no understanding and it's almost like you grew up with a lot of open wounds knowing like but it doesn't show because it's inside and it's not like you have a cut like that it's visible the people will like have empathy oh what happened you know if you have a black eye like people mm -hmm. will say oh might hit you but if you have an emotional injury nobody could tell so therefore there was no cure so i'm very fascinated to um listen to not only you but all over i guess from all over the world that how our generation growing up were never educated on that emotional intelligence mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually I started doing talks, which I stopped doing, but maybe I shouldn't have. And I was doing them on a very simple level, 
like to teachers in schools, just talking about how important it is to feel emotions and what happens if when you don't. And they were like, they started crying, some of them, and coming up to me and saying, oh, thank you so much. It's like, we didn't know this. It's like, so, I mean, one of the tools I really that's been important for me is to fully feel my emotions. And when you've come from a background like ours, Yuri, <laughs> And um, they've been suppressed. When they come up, they're pretty rough. But so sometimes now I even have to sit down in a chair or lie on my bed, but I allow them full expression because I know they're not going to kill me. No, they heal. Let's actually switch our conversation to the tools then. Um, so my second question for you, I know you mentioned a lot about tools, but this is my favorite part of uh, conversation in the podcast because what I want people to understand is when people go through extreme trauma, like you have been through, I have been through, and the people who don't have those kind of trauma, traumatic experience, um, I just want to have an open conversation about the tools, not only typical, say, go see a counselor type of thing, but things that you mentioned, but maybe top list things that truly worked for your trauma that you are able to move forward if you can share that with our audience that would be great yeah i think different tools were of value at different times and i still use all of them but some more than others i think it has to start this is just my very strong personal opinion with professional help but with the right person full stop you've got to have the right person so because one needs to see one's blind spots. So I had already started, I think self-awareness was the most important starting point for me to actually start observing myself, observing my mind and my emotions. Um, and I was astounded. And it's very hard to do that in the beginning. It's very hard to follow your thoughts, but distance yourself from them. But I just kept on at it and kept on at it. And I would encourage people, it's not, we all very scared to give each other honest feedback and to tell each other the truth kindly. And if my business partner had not told me that truth that day, I'm not sure what would have happened in my life. So I would, that's not a tool, but I think we should all just maybe gently share with the people we love, you know, but then triggers, doing work with triggers, um, to use a trigger as a gift, firstly, to recognize a trigger. So a trigger is something that's too big for the situation. So in my instance, I would have anxiety come up um, and guilt. Well, underlying the anxiety, I found out eventually was guilt and shame and underlying that was self-hatred and not being worthy. But it's taken me five and a half years to get there. But the first I started just when I was triggered, because a trigger is something that's too big for the situation. So I'd go, wow, that really hit me, you know, really hard. And I feel absolutely incensed or judged or crazy about this. And I'm like, but it, it was a small thing. Why am I feeling like that? So then I would make inquiry. Um, and sometimes you don't get the answer and then that's okay. But the more I started doing that, the more I'd observe how I was overreacting. And when I made inquiry, I realized that actually it was a reaction from the past that was still running my show. So it triggered a wound. 
so the small situation triggered that wound and and that's why I overreacted. So then one can start saying, well, now I like I actually am worthy and it doesn't matter. You know, it can be something as small as someone washing the dishes or, and not speaking to you because they're washing the dishes that can trigger you. So starting to observe your triggers um, and make inquiry to start working with the ego, you know, because we can't eradicate our egos, but the egos um, try and keep us safe and loved. And in that process, often um, they don't do a good job for us, especially if we've had trauma. So to start being aware of what the ego is and what its job is and to make friends with it and to integrate it, um, because really this journey is about reuniting with who we really are, that spark of God. We born that. So it's to unlayer the layers. Um, for me, what was exceptionally valuable is, and I started doing it because I had cancer, but I still try and do it every day. And then when I get good, I forget for months. But I, as soon as I'm not good, I do it again, is I do a visualization process in the morning I'm with some really beautiful music or binaural beats, and I visualize these this golden light or golden sparkles, and I go through every single part of my body, my brain, my eyes, my everything, my bones, my bone marrow, my muscles, my every single organ. And I did that initially to heal cancer, but what I've realized now is it actually settles the whole system that. Um, because it's all interlinked, you know, the body is the temple of our, our soul self and our God self. And if the body, the body never lies, the mind does. So I find now, if I start my day with that every day, it's, it creates a kind of automatic um, internal alignment, because I also at the end, then I imagine my nervous system being calm, my immune system strong, and I thank my body. Um, I find that very powerful. It sounds very simple. So a daily morning practice, um, whatever it is, I think to to ground one and to stop. Because what I used to do in the past, it's gone now mostly, is I'd wake up just feeling terrible, like this raging anxiety and this is going to be a terrible day. And the other thing is just to capture your thoughts and not because thoughts are bad, but and to write if you write. Writing's much better. I hate writing, so I don't write. But if you can start observing your thoughts and writing down in a journal what thoughts you're having and what associated emotions or what emotions you're having if there's no thoughts sometimes, that's for me. Because as soon as you take a thought, as soon as you recognize a thought, neuroscience says um, you, you can start changing it immediately. And it takes time. The other thing I would encourage people, it's not a tool, but please, you need resilience, you need commitment, you need patience, and you need to do every single day you need to do the work and in inverted commas. So it needs to become a lifestyle. It's not just something you do in the morning and then you go to yoga class in the evening. It's very many different things you can do. So um, yeah, those are probably observing my mind and healing my mind and feeling my emotions. Um, have been very, and there's very many tools I can offer on that. So now for me, when a feeling comes up, because it often comes up as a feeling first, and sometimes I kind of, I just say, I stop now. What I find very important is to stop. Whatever I'm doing, no matter how busy I am, unless I'm on a podcast, I stop. 
and then I fully, fully feel that feeling. I give it full expression. And, and then I, I just say, is there anything I need to know here? Is there any memory I need to have? Is there anything I need to know? And sometimes I get a memory. Sometimes I get um, an emotion that I hadn't felt in the past. Sometimes I get nothing. Sometimes I get it three days later. But I found that really helpful. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, one of my friends, Sidora, um, said thank you so much for sharing. Uh, she just commented our podcast live. Um, Antonia is coming from South Africa today. Um, so my last question, I uh, really appreciate your time today for coming in, um, is a gift that came from your adversity. So what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? Well, I now I can experience unspeakable peace that surpasses all understanding joy for the first time in my life. Um, I very seldom get triggered, and if I do, I can deal with it. I can feel my emotions. Please, it hasn't been an easy journey, but it's been worth it, and sometimes it still gets hard because the subconscious kicks back in and comes back and goes, no, 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 we're not going to make change. I trust life now. Um I'm obedient to the flow of life and to what the spirit tells me, the higher order and my higher order. Um, I trust so much. I, I gave up everything in my life. I live in a small village. Um, the life I always wanted to live, but I thought I couldn't make money. I, gave, I sold my business. I, um, I, moved, I just changed everything. And I'm it's not always perfect, and it's sometimes still very hard. I mean, once you've got borderline personality, maybe I'll die with it, but I can manage it. And for me to experience unspeakable peace and joy, Yuri, if I can do it, anybody can. I don't think anybody understands what it's like to live in the mind of someone with borderline personality. It's pure hell. It's like living in hell. It's constant suffering. It doesn't matter how much money you've got or travel or friends. It's just hell. And I don't live in that hell anymore. I feel free. Even when it's hard, I'm okay with not being okay. Well, thank you so much again for coming in to our gift from adversity today. I really thank appreciate your time and sharing your story. Thank you for inviting me, Yuren. Thank you for what you're doing. It's so important that we have these conversations and we don't hide, especially mental stuff is the elephant in the room and it needs to come out. Thank you very, very much. Absolutely. And thank you to our audience for tuning in and then we'll continue to have more conversation. Have a wonderful day.